The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey. I'm here with my friend Sondra Bernstein, and we're here with Nicholas Friedman. We're going to talk about bees this week. Sandra, how you doing? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I have a very simplistic question um, to begin the show. And, and because I, I, the more I was thinking about this, I think people are probably are curious and might have the same question. What really is honey? Wait a second. Yeah. I want to talk about honey before we talk about honey. Okay. Okay. So I, I need to tell you, you know, Nick, Nick Freeman, who has been a friend for over a year, probably over a year, maybe longer. A little bit. Um, how often in your life do you like go to a dinner party or you're somewhere and you just feel like this connection with someone and you go, oh, my God, this person is so interesting and they have kind of redefined their life and really intelligent and smart and I'm like oh my god I want to know more about him now I don't get to spend much time with him but he is a honey and a honey do <laughs> he made he made a wagon and for his sweetheart yeah. and it was an incredible I mean it was well done like he could make millions of dollars doing these fabulous wagons now that's a honey that's a very romantic gift not many people would think that but I mean I definitely would not make a... Um, no, you wouldn't make it, and no. nor would probably Maria even want a wagon, except maybe to drag Abby around in. Well, maybe I'm going to burst your bubble a little bit. You are. <laughs> oh, no, don't he, tell he me. He bought it, it was online. A, it was a dot, call it like paint by number. No, no, I had it made. <laughs> okay, I think I start, like you even more. Do you want to start this show over? <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew I had, no, this I is knew perfect. I, she's the woman that has everything. I needed to find something really special. I see her schlepping around stuff all over her, her oh farm. Oh, my goodness. And I found uh, some beautiful barn wood around my property. And a guy that does some work around my place, I asked him to make me a great wagon. Gave him some things to put on. You're amazing because it's really like personalized and it's it's sweet. It is very sweet. But is it does it like get pulled behind horses or what? Just a hand cart. Just a hand cart. But heavy duty like like ATV wheels. Yeah. Burly, cool farm, but chic and classy for my lady. (laughs) I definitely that doesn't take it down a notch because I also appreciate a guy who can get it done and find the hey person find the person to that <laughs> you have to know who to get it done with i have a friend uh, that owns a, a ranch nearby and he will say to me when whenever i claim to have done something he goes did you do it or did you pay somebody <laughs> to do it <laughs> i built this house did you build that house or did you pay someone to build that house all right i like that well okay. I, w- I was just talking to tim wallace um last week and i love you know he's a graduate of brown and harvard my favorite thing that he always See, tries wine, to drive home is he's well he was a um, president at, at benziger and now he's a consultant and also at um, sonoma state university but he says delegate whenever possible and i said i couldn't agree more i love yes, that i love that too. i love it too it's hard for some people though so that's how we tra- that's how i wanted to transition from honey yeah 
to R-E honey. R-E Nick to honey. Well, because you are a beekeeper, but I was just thinking the other day, m- my daughter is in 4-H and she's actually done a, a beekeeping project. And Fantastic. I asked her if she wanted to come today and I said, yeah, we got a guy who keeps bees. And she says, daddy, I didn't really like it. It was so hot when we put on the, <laughs> the suits and the bees were swarming all over me. And I said, okay, then never mind. <laughs> I thought it would be cute to have her on and she'd say, oh, okay, I had so much fun making honey. We're the other nine beekeepers that we had planned for the show. Beekeeping is something that turned on a switch for me. I, I would have never thought myself as a scientist or the ability to follow through on something scientific or detailed um, and with an endless degree of knowledge. I, I liken it to yoga where you take your first yoga class and there's just too much to collect in your head. And, yeah. the, and then you go to another one. Oh, and you collect the people in your head over years and years and you fine tune it. But it, you're, it's, you're always a beginner in yoga. Okay. And as a beekeeper, you're always a beginner as well. And as a beginner beekeeper who's been keeping hives for six years now, I am just blown away how there's so much more to learn it's such a wonderful community of people. It gets you into other people's backyards. It pr- the products that come out of it can be endless. And it has proven to me that I can be a bit of a scientist. And I have a, a whole other area of my brain that's exercising that I, I never took to the gym before. So if your business, your business card right now, if you were ever to go back to a business card, which I don't know that you would, would be... Gentleman farmer slash scientist? Gentleman farmer. Gentleman farmer. I love that term. <laughs> Maybe slash adventurer. Adventurer. I love that too. You are an adventurer. You do you do well traveling. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to travel. I like to camp. I like to pick out bucket list items and, and knock them off. Um, and when friends and uh, say, let's go do this, my favorite word is yes. Yeah. Love it. Good Love movie, it. Yes Man. I always thought that was like such a great concept where whenever anyone asks you something, you just have to say yes. But it would be a long day. It would be a very long day. It would be not a fun day. Well, now, can we... Um, can we yeah, let's really... I, I really want to get this question answered because I don't know. Is What is honey? I mean, we, everyone knows what bees are and everyone uses honey in cooking or they'll put it in their tea. And, and um, but, but if you ask... I bet if you ask 10 people exactly what is honey i bet you get a bunch of different answers i'm sure you would and if you got 10 beekeepers together and ask them anything you're going to get 12 different answers (laughs) (laughs) i um i think of honey as the carbohydrate of the hive it's what fuels the hive it's what keeps them warm in the winter and it's what the bees eat and they collect nectar and they process it uh with their saliva glands and they and they they digest it and they dehydrate it and they cap it with wax and they've created honey which is the carbohydrate Um, they also have a protein which is pollen and they'll bring that in so when you see a hive and they're bringing in a lot of pollen that's a good sign because they're clearly raising young and they need the protein and the nectar that comes in which is a challenge in sonoma uh, in sonoma county and any place where it's dry because these are european bees and it rains during the summer 
doesn't rain during the summer here. We stopped rain, what, May this year, yeah. end of May, and it didn't start until October. That's a, 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 a dry season and a long time for them to get through when there's no nectar around to produce the carbohydrate they need. And they need to produce enough of this, this honey so that they can create the heat and feed themselves for the long stretch where they're not gathering nectar or when they're not gathering anything because they're cooped up in the hive for the winter. So if they were left to their own devices, if we didn't come and harvest the honey, they would eventually utilize or use all of the honey that they're producing in some way? Not necessarily. The reason we're able to harvest honey from an active hive is because they've created enough for to, to take them through winter. So I won't take any more than, um, than I think is excess. So I generally consider 35, 40 pounds of honey left in the hive enough for them to get through in Sonoma. If I was on the East Coast, I'd probably keep about 50 pounds of honey in the hive for them to make it through winter. Huh. So they're trying to keep their hive at 94 degrees. Wow. And when it's... 20 or 30 or 40 degrees outside and it's not an insulated hive it's a box and they've it's pretty tight they will move and buzz their wings to create that heat to keep the 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 group of bees surrounding the queen at 94 degrees and to keep the the brood the the pupating eggs and the the larva that's that's in the hive warm enough so they survive because they can all die if it gets chilled. So they move around in the hive, uncapping the honey and eating it and producing that heat. And if they, ha- and if they can move around and if they have enough honey and enough um, pollen and bee bread stored, they can survive. But even if they have enough, sometimes the hive won't survive. Right. And there's, I guess, a number of factors over the last, I don't know, decade um, that people have been looking at. Mm-hmm. Pesticides is probably one of what it's the four p's i think that are oh, gmo <clears throat> well is that one like the pollen changes parasites on? pesticides pathogens and poor nutrition i think is what yeah what i think looking i at. would add a couple of other slights and um um two of the thousand cuts that the bees are dealing with one is a lack of places to live mm-hmm. so if if you are a, a, a honey bee colony can reproduce itself sexually and asexually. So they can split as a hive. If a hive gets too big or if there's some other signal going on within the hive that causes them to realize, hey, we're, we're a little congested in this tree or in this hive. There's too many of us. If a beekeeper's not paying attention and he's not watching his hive, they decide as one um, you know. entity to swarm and the pheromones of the queen set out and the whole colony understands we have to get ready to swarm. So they begin to prepare to create a new queen and they begin to put their current queen on a diet so she can fly because she's been, <laughs> she's been cooped up for a while. Yeah. So the nurse bees are chasing around so she can't lay eggs. So she's losing weight and she's, she's able to fly. And they, they lay eggs and they start r- raising these eggs as queens. And the day after that queen cell is, is capped, closed, its pupate has gone through the process, and I can't remember how many days. It's it's very clear bee math, and that in so many days you 
um, you have an egg for one to three days. And if you have an egg in a hive that's one to three days old, the colony, knowing they need to make a new queen, can make a new queen. So when they decide to uh, propagate and split, they've, they make many, many, many queen cells. So on the day after that, if the weather's nice and it's not raining, the old queen will leave with 60 to 80% of the hive. And, and, and leave with that colony and go find another place to live. Well, if there's no places to live, there's no trees. There's, there, if they go into a hole in a building, they get sprayed. So there's a problem with there's just not places for, for wild things. Uh, I believe that uh, the climate is changing. I think it's changing rapidly. I believe in the science. I have friends that don't. And um, that's a huge effect uh, on yeah. the bees. And the weather patterns, lack of food. We live in a desert. We live in a real desert because we're in a Mediterranean climate, but we also have huge deserts. Wherever there is um, a vineyard, it's a desert. It doesn't require pollination. And unless they're planting um, uh, a pollinator-friendly... Like crop cover. Correct. Uh, then they're just deserts. And there's... Imagine how many thousands of acres in Sonoma County we have that are completely desert and then sprayed. Then, of course, we get to the pesticides, which are, uh, you know, there's so many. So there's many, many problems. Um, And then there is a huge problem uh, that the Sonoma County Beekeepers Association, which if you're interested in keeping bees, join the Sonoma County Beekeepers Association. Come to meetings. There's some great groups to be involved with. I've learned so much. Over the last couple of days, a, a number of members said, hey, you want to come to a, a school that's been taught in Ireland about beekeeping at a college wow. for 70 years? And I said, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to Ireland for the first time to go to school for bees. I love it. Um, and there's a great a teacher at the local JC, Serge Labasque, and he's a, a brilliant guy. And along with the association, believes that we need to stop bringing in bees from the central valley or from other parts of the country to live in sonoma so while we can move from new york to sonoma and be happy and turn on the air conditioning and turn on the the tap the bees we believe if you raise bees here and you catch native bees here that they're going to become survivor stock, that they're going to mate with other bees and they're going to be able to deal with the long period of time where they have to and come out of spring really quickly and and start preparing for winter in June, in July here, which isn't the case in other places. And that's why using survivor stock, local stock, and not buying bees from the huge commercial operations that are traveling through the Central Valley. Why, why, yeah. why are bees so important to our community they're pollinating community one third of our food that we get is pollinated by bees by bees what's interesting though is that you know we talk about honeybees a lot and i think that's because we have friends um you know that that like to harvest honey but honeybees aren't indigenous to north america right i mean bumblebees are i think there's like some five thousand different varieties that are indigenous to north america but honeybees aren't so are you kind of saying that we should focus a little bit more on the bumblebees, the ones that are indigenous or, uh, you know, to this area, and they would maybe have a better survival rate? Well, I think anything we can do to help insect populations. I heard something on National Public Radio the other day where they they said there was a 70% drop in insects in the soil in certain areas, on certain wow. farms. That scared Worms the hell out of me. 
Yeah. And it didn't surprise me because I remember all the pill bugs when I turn over a rock in Westchester when I was growing up. If I turn over West a rock. Westchester, PA? Uh, Westchester, uh, New York. Okay. Uh, where I grew up. And, and when I've turned over a rock more recently, I don't see any pill bugs. Yeah. When I turn over a rock on my ranch, uh, it is, there's so many bugs and night crawlers and salamanders and there's it's there's so much life going on and the biodiversity is terrific and it's a piece of property that was heavily ranched for 70 years but they didn't spray anything on it it was chickens wasn't it was it It, chicken it was a chicken ranch um 80 90 100 years ago and before that it was part of vallejo's uh ranches and there's old chinese walls on it Um, after that it was the roca family's cattle ranch and they worked and sold uh cattle um the hardens had it before the rocas and they were a chicken farming family and how many acres uh just under 50. oh wow I um I, I feel I feel blessed to have found it, and it's really the reason I was able to stop and become a gentleman farmer. But when I look back and to try to answer your question, I think the con- the, the the comment is, what can we do to create healthier soil? What can we do to produce less toxins in our environment? To me, that's what it's all about, and um, if it's if you're doing that, then it's going to be better for the local bee po- um, local pollinators, whether that's hummingbirds or butterflies or bees. When I plant something on my property, I want it to do something. I want it to do something for the land. I want it to do something for me, give me a lemon, or I want it to do something for the pollinators. So when I think of something, I, I, and I have ornamentals as well, and I have uh, uh, California native grapes growing to block uh, a bit of the road, but that's fantastic for the birds as well. No, but when I think of um, uh, the bees, the bees are terrific and incredible honeybees pollinators. And um, as something that's not native to California, it's important that we try to raise and create um, Uh, stocks of local bees survivor stock that can live in Sonoma County and spin off many more hives that that either through sexual or asexual reproduction and and have a healthy population where that doesn't happen is when we have a tractor trailer with uh, 50,000 hives starting in the almond groves feeding a mono diet to the bees. Um, If you've looked at the factory farming techniques of cows, it's very similar. If you're a beekeeper, you see how they treat them. It's carnage. They, they're, they're done. They take the honey out of it. They get them back on the box. They queen rear, they make new hives. It's, it's, it's the carnage is amazing. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of bees dying as they're going through the process, but it's a big business and, and the almond guys need it. I don't fault, fault them. And then they take the bees and they go up to the cherries and then they take the bees and they go up to the next thing. Bees in an entire lifetime, one worker bee will have a small fraction of a teaspoon of honey for his whole for her whole whole life. So, the amount of effort of a colony to produce uh, fifty pounds of honey so they'll make it through winter is enormous, and they have to be healthy and they have to be working together, and they have to be strong. Um, 
uh, strong colony that has all sorts of um, clean and self-cleaning um, uh, attributes. If that's the case, they can start dealing with the four Ps, right? The, the, so they can make, perhaps deal a little bit better with the pesticides, but they certainly can deal with the pathogens better. And if they're hygienic bees, then they can clean off the varroa mite off of, a, off of a bee, or they might live in a different way. And I think that the bees that travel on a truck and then at the end of the season are, are put out in a field in California and are... Like to pasture? Well, they're, they're, they're put out there and then they're split up into smaller hives and then they sell them to people all over the country. So now I have a... Um, 3,000 bees with a queen that might have been working with that colony or might just be in a little queen cage. And I've bought them. And this is how I started. I bought them from the Central Valley. I bought them from uh, a, a local uh, seller uh, here. And I bought them in May, pretty much when the, the honey flow is going to stop. But are they like retired? Well, no. Or they were semi-retired? No, well, not necessarily. They've just taken 3,000 bees. You can buy bees as a package or a nuke. A package is about 3,000 bees with a queen in a box. They don't have honeycomb. They don't have pollen. They don't have drawn comb. They don't have anything. I take that. And many places that tell you in books how to start keeping bees, they'll tell you buy a package of bees, bring them home, install them into your hive equipment, excuse me, and feed them so that they can feed them sugar water instead of them going out and finding nectar and building their own comb, give them sugar water and that allows them to draw comb and set up their hive. And now we've just started feeding the bears instead of having the bears not right. come into camp you got yogi looking for the picnic basket right. so it's a it's a huge problem when we when we feed so i don't feed my bees and i lose hives because they're starving and but they couldn't make it in this environment right so the the carrying capacity of my property the carrying capacity of the f the two and a half to five miles that they forage may not have enough for them. Uh, so th the idea of buying bees from the Central Valley, you're buying a package of bees, bees that had a life that was supported by being fed sugar water, that was fed monocrops, and they grew up in a different environment. Right. They're dropped here in Sonoma County in May, and I'm gonna have to feed them to survive. So to my mind now, having lost eight separate paid nukes or packages and a wow. nuke and a nucleus is, is a small nucleus hive um, where the queen in a package is living in a cage and after a few days her pheromones spread through the worker bees and they accept her and you they can work together a nuke is a queen and a group of bees that have been working together and there's drawn comb and they have a better chance of survival but in either case they both failed now when i go out and i catch a swarm of bees that's hanging on a tree or I put out a trap and they land in it and I bring that home, those bees have been surviving brilliantly. Wow. And the beauty of this is it, it, it brings um, me to an area that beekeeping surprised me. It's the community that you get. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, I honestly had no, 75% of what you just said, I have no clue. 
and I could go on and on and on and chase rabbit trails about all sorts of facts. Well, I think that's, I think a lot of people don't know there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. And one of them is that, that, that you do have people that truck bees around to pollinate crops. And when you're talking about monoculture, when you're talking about, it's basically like taking your kid and saying, okay, for a week, we're going to eat nothing but peanut butter. And then that next week we're going to eat radishes. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's no balance at all to, to what they're doing. It's just, they're being used as a tool. It's basically like bringing migrant workers in to work the property and then, and then ship them off somewhere else. And you are what you eat. Right. Mm. Right. Isn't that interesting? So they're just, and, and food is medicine, you know, and, and when you're buying honey, make sure you're buying local honey. And when you go to a farmer's market and you're talking to a, uh, uh, somebody selling honey, make sure they're the beekeeper or they know the beekeeper and ask some questions that let you know that it's like looking at the card in a restaurant Mm -hmm. and asking the server about the farms that they list. Is this, is this, is this, is this baloney or is this, is this marketing or is, or do they know these people? Yeah. And, and I, I, I have found, um, so often that the eggs in a farmer's market were bought at Costco and you hear about this and this, and, and, and a lot of honey is pasteurized or heated up and kills all the local, all the, the, the good stuff that's in it, or it's, it's sugar fed mass produced honey. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people get rid of their allergies of an area just by using a local honey. I've I've heard of that, too. I have a big spoon of honey in the morning, and often if I can't hunt down any other sugars in my house, I will have a (laughs) big spoon in the evening. And um, I've never had uh, allergies. I I used to be allergic to, to bee stings. Um, <laughs> oh, and no, so no, not too. since you're having honey. It's well, not not like, since not I've been stung a million times. Yeah, not since <laughs> having been stung a lot of times. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm no longer. I no longer yeah. have the massive reactions, or not all, all that often. Right. The the Nick gave me honey last year, and truly, it was the best honey I've ever had in my life. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I've never gone through a whole jar of honey ever, except for this jar. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be leaving both of you I'm with honey very as well. Excited. Yes, thank you. Because I'm almost not allowed to touch. My, you what? know, my, I, I was saying that my daughter was in 4-H and did the, the beekeeper project, and so her and her best friends, the triplets, they all harvested honey not too long ago, and and um, I'm not really allowed to have any. Yeah, Maria, Maria is a no sugar <laughs> person, and so for her it means a lot. And to have that kind of honey that she knew exactly where it came from, she harvested herself. So is she a will. Big deal. Okay. So d- we've got I don't know ten or twelve jars or something. I think she's working on her second one. That's but if, a lot But if of she jars. sees me uh, dipping into that honey too much, so <laughs> now I'm glad I'll have my own. I've been. Um, this year was the largest harvest I've ever had of of uh, honey. I have about 15 gallons, so I'll be leaving one of you with some some comb. This is the first time I've ever packaged just wow. but cut comb, which is the way I prefer to eat it, and um, um, and honey. And because Petaluma honey crystallizes so quickly, I made a huge mistake this year where I thought it would be really neat, and one of my neighbors did this, to cut comb and drop it in the liquid jars of honey. Ah, so you could see it? And it was just gorgeous for the three or four days until everything <laughs> crystallized take a lot of pictures yeah and and then you can't get to the comb but is there anything you do to the honey like when you are what did you say 
harvesting the honey. So I from from the hive, um, I'm I'm endlessly fascinated and curious about what can happen. So as I've learned more and more about beekeeping. Um, this year, I took a beginner beekeeping course at the JC. I've taken the intermediate course. I'm going to this college course. I go to the monthly meetings often of the Sonoma County Beekeepers Association. There's a gardening group that I'm involved with, and I do some volunteers with that. We kept a nursery at my house to help people that were burned out in our fires. Um, um, we propagated plants. And we had all of these plants to give to uh, other great. members. It was just fantastic. And we'll get together and, and propagate plants in people's yards and then go home with a whole bunch of plants. And I have huge gardens now that uh, of pollinator plants of fabulous gardens that, that have come from other beekeepers that I know. That's and incredible. That was, uh, yeah, incredible. And it was yeah. a surprising uh, um, uh, turn of events for me uh, to... to to go from, oh, this is going to be part of my gardening. I'm learning so much about gardening. These are master gardeners, and we'll talk about hedgerow gardens, and we'll have workshops and volunteer time. And it, There's so much from it. But the, the honey was an afterthought. Um, my mom, the, fir the first, when I bought the ranch, I found it on a bicycle ride. I had been in the outdoor industry for many years. I was the publisher of Bicycling Magazine. I was I worked with Organic Gardening. I worked with Rodale um, mm -hmm. uh, Press when it was uh, in existence for many, many years. So I had been around the idea of organic gardening. Uh, my mom always had an organic garden, and I was fascinated, fascinated by it. My mom read me a, a book about bees when I was a little boy and I remember sitting in her lap and I didn't think about that until I had the ranch and I got this ranch and I thought well what can I do on this before I figure out if I can build anything on it before I find water on it before I get any permits and that can take a long time was there anything on the ranch when you got there it was, there was a house oh yeah there was there was a ranch there with single windows no insulation mm. no heat no electricity no water except for a spring um, there were two other legal units, 18 buildings, wow. 1840s, 5,000 square foot Dutch barn, chicken coops, on and on and on. And everything was in disrepair. Asbestos everywhere, gas uh. tanks on the property, mm. you know, power lines in the dry grass <laughs> making <Wow>. you know <laughs> noises. It was a mess. And it's why I could afford it. And it's why no one wanted it. Where, where exactly is it? Well, um, I'm up on Sonoma Mountain, mm -hmm. directly across from Glen Allen in, Penalu in Petaluma, looking out over the Petaluma Valley. Wow. So I'm at 400 feet. I'm looking out over the entire valley with an unobstructed um, view of it. And I found it on a bicycle ride in a loop from town. I used to live downtown. And when I got the place, I thought, oh, I can get a beehive. I put it out there. They'll, they'll be harvesting the land for me as I'm doing everything. And I did. Um, the very first thing was I put a flagpole strapped to a post and put it up and met my first neighbor and then got the beehives. And it's been, it, it's been um, like that ever since in terms of the property, but also with the bees. Because then you, you start with a box. And what does that mean? And you go into it and you have a suit and, how, oh, that hurt. And. It's hard with gloves, and you start to think about all these different things. And now, 
I harvest all the wax from the hive. And this, after harvesting wax for five years, this year I started playing with candles. Oh, candles? What else can I use the wax for? Wow, I should take honey, propolis, which is an antibacterial, antimicrobial magic potion that the bees use to seal up and protect their hive. I can use that with the other products of the hive, and well, why don't I make a cosmetic of that? Ah, oh, cosmetics, that has a return on investment that might be possible. I was listening to your last podcast that I heard, and, and um, your bean farmer was talking about yeah. how being mm-hmm. a farmer ain't what it's, you know, the fantasy's cracked up to be. Right, <laughs> and, right. And I, I look at this, and I raise pigs. I had plenty of pork, this nice Jewish boy, and it was... <laughs> It was good. I'm still eating it and I'll raise more pigs, but it was a lot of time and I couldn't make money on it. Right. I raise cattle, but that'll be for my own consumption. And that right. maybe, but on 50 acres, probably not enough meat to make enough money to make it worth it. So with the products of the hive, there's so many interesting things to do to make. I brought a uh, tincture here today that I made from propol- propolis. I think I did. Well, I'll show it to you. And this is, this is um, you make a dust out of the propolis first, and then you... you T- tell people what propolis so is. So propolis is um, a product that the bees will make from resins, from sap, and they'll bring it back into the hive, and they'll patch up holes, and they'll coat the inside of the box. And if I'm in there and I have a cut on my hand, I'll take a little bit of that propolis and I'll just shove it into the cut and it'll be healed a lot quicker. It's just magic product. And you can make a tincture out of it and people will take that every day and it has all sorts of wonderful properties. It's really worth looking up. And I thought, well, that, that's, that's a magical product. Much like argon oil became this fantastic yeah. thing. And I'm sure that there's very little or no argon oil in any shampoo. That If you see how they make it in Morocco, you'd know. (laughs) There's not going to be much of that available in a $5. Yeah, I haven't heard some, I have not heard someone say argon oil in I don't know how long. Except you see it on every mass-produced product in, right. in, in, in CVS. And I think propolis is the kind of thing that, that I could see being a buzz product, but... Oh, so, that was sorry. cute. I like sorry. how you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, well, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> so the bees have led to, to all but, these ooh. other hobbies and interests, whether it's, it's using the wax or making mead or... Oh, I was going to ask about that. Gardening yeah. and... Uh, on and on and on and it's a joy with the community the ongoing learning um, and the time spent in the hive is a pretty special pretty special experience yeah and what what kind of when you're talking about cosmetics what kind of cosmetic type I mean, what kind of product would like come out of lotion? Like, or well, I'm just thinking of salve, putting something. I'm thinking of putting something on my face and it being really sticky. <laughs> thinking, um, well, this is a salve that I'm starting, and I started this by um, taking some of my Meyer lemons and trying to create an essential oil with that, and then mixing it with um, coconut oil as a base. Um, you can see the oil separated. So that was a failure. So I'm talking to people, how do you, how do you make this thing mix? Um, I, I think a sleeping aid would be great. 
I also think of some of the other products that are now available in C- California. CBD oil. A CBD oil mixed with, um, um, the, whether it's calendula or other herbs and that create a salve. A sleep salve, a lip salve, um, tough yeah, farmer like, hand yeah. salve. But really, like I was looking up one and it was this beautiful salve that you, you put on your feet at night. And that struck me as a, a really interesting way to create and use a product. And I have people in my life that uh, struggle with sleep. So this seems like a nice idea. We're waving at uh, Gabby. That was my, um, I was her senior mentor. What was that? We oh, had, and is she, she's she now, think a, that you, she's in college. Do you want to go think. say hi to her? No. Okay. Hi, Gabby. (laughs) Listen to the podcast. If you're listening. Um, So I guess one of my questions would be if you, if people were to start really looking at propolis to be a product for cosmetics, would there be an increase of, you know, like these trucks that go feed, you know, do almonds and then cherries would there be a mismanagement of bees just for this product? When has there not been a mismanagement of anything right. when something becomes popular and, and, and worthy of being sold and bought? Right. So uh, I, but it could be that there's just another use for all of this product right. that's like, being produced that isn't being harvested yet. So it's not yet. being used yet. And I guess it's like offal and, you know, the animals like using every part of it. Or like making grappa out of, you know, all of the, the after you crush the grapes and you got right. all the, you know, then make something else out of it. Italians are right. well known for doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, if, yeah. if the thing with the... Uh, with the bees though, and people are thinking, oh, well, it's, it's just about honey. Think about those carnivores out there. You know that these bees are also pollinating alfalfa, which is feeding a lot of your cows that you are eating your hamburgers <laughs> from. Right. Um, so I saw a huge increase in my fruit trees. I brought some dried fruit with wow. me. Um, and I saw a huge increase in, in, in the production of my fruit trees when I started keeping hives now how long does a bee generally live like one bee well they i'm not going to remember all the all the yeah, all the I facts because my to, mind doesn't hold those no, those, my, those figures very well I but they, they go they go through like a, a they go a through week? they go through oh no no they go through they they do all sorts of jobs they're mostly uh females mostly girls in there and they're they're from the time they're born they once is they hatch they come out and they immediately st- start cleaning out their cell and they get that prepared and then they become a nurse bee and then they start working through the different jobs of the hive and they will eventually become a worker bee and then they're out foraging and that's when they fly their wings off basically and uh-huh. and and so so they have a short life a queen can last a year two two and a half okay. maybe three years um, and then bees have different life spans at different times so right now we have winter bees in our hives and in December, the queens are probably not laying at this time of year. And the winter bees that were um, um, hatched and pupated in September will now live longer because they're doing less. And they'll stay in the hive. And then as spring emerges in January, February here, they'll start m- 
the queen will start laying again in January and start building up the hive. It's a it's a really interesting cycle. Um, it, it reminds me of Ayurvedic medicines, right. uh, and Ayurveda is all about the cycles, right? The cycles are alive. The cycle of the year, uh, fall is drying, youth is heat, uh, and when you should oleate and all that. Well, the bees are, uh, are 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 a cycle like that. And if you imagine spring is a time when they're gonna they're going to burst forth and they're gonna they're the queen is gonna be laying thousands of eggs and they're going to increase 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 to capture the harvest of spring and early summer and to get ready for fall and as you go through the summer and they kick out all the drones and they the there are no boys anymore and the hive starts reducing mm -hmm. so it's an expansion and a contraction wow. an expansion and contraction and as a beekeeper basically our job is to manage the size of the hive. So as they're growing, I give them enough room so they're not constrained. So you add on to the hive? I add on to it, I grow it, or I split the hive into three other hives so that they don't feel constrained. So instead of 60% to 80% of the hive leaving, they think that happened. I artificially created that by splitting the hive into three or five other boxes. Oh, this is fascinating. And yeah. it's endlessly fascinating, and I endlessly screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> I got all this stuff, like this, this, like the the, the 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 hand cream I'm showing you that shows oil separated from the from the the oil from the cream. Endlessly. Yeah, but you keep, you find the things that work through trial and error. Well, I and just there, believe that. And, and there's something else that happens. So one of the big things is community. That's extraordinary. And when you hear the studies about populations that are the happiest in life, I'm newly retired. And you suddenly and instantly step out of your community. You've like created a whole new community for and, yourself. And I was already creating it with my interests. And they say, you know, when you, a couple has raising kids together, they should be keeping their individual interests because when the kids go, oi, we're, right. he we're here together and <laughs> right. do we have other interests? And are, exactly. you know, so, so what's fascinating to me is I've always had a rich um, uh, and, and varied um, interests, hobbies, and friends all over the place. So uh, I have a pretty full life, and I wasn't worried about retiring and um, not finding things to do. With so many hobbies like beekeeping, and with beekeeping filling so many other hobbies, it's going to the gardening groups, it's going to the meetings, it's volunteering to raise money or create the auction, it's it's volunteering and getting drunk at the wine pour. <laughs> and uh, it, it's meeting with our local community because we'll have something called a bee cafe once a month, which is just the local Petaluma people. And we'll get together at someone's house for a presentation and discussion, and I'm invited into somebody's barn in a back fabulous country lane yeah. that i would yeah. have never seen before so it's it's wonderful and it's blue it's red it's it's educated and not it's it's socioeconomically quite diverse it's sonoma so it's pretty white and and, and some brown but uh, but it, there's a diversity that's lovely that 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 um really gives a lot but the the beauty of um there's so many different aspects to it the other one is it's meditative it's so nice for the mind. I'm a, I'm a pretty hyperactive person, pretty energyful person. My mom was out in the hives with me. She said that she had never seen me move so slowly in her whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, there's a pace to it. 
when you're cleaning the equipment, when you're making mead, when you're canning and doing, it's all slow, tedious, interesting, some, you know, very cerebral work and some just brain shut out, have a glass of wine and clean equipment. Right. So in a, in a year or well, in, in a month, how many days are you, do you need to be involved with the hives? Right now, not at all. Not at all. So it totally, again, it depends on the cycle. Well, right now, I will go out and make sure that the hives are safe, that the wind hasn't blown our top off. Um, I really should have them strapped down because we're an earthquake country. And right. That's bad. Huh. But I put weights on mine. Many people do strap them down. Um, I check the openings to see if something is scratched and tried to get in it. And I keep a look at the um, observation board is something that slides under the hive that I could pull out and look at like a topo map. Right. Do you know how you can look at a topo map and you can see cliffs on a flat piece of paper and hillsides? Well, that is what an observation board that it slides under the hive. So any refuse that comes down from the hive falls there and you're looking at it like a topography map in reading what's happening in a hive. So I pulled one out the other day of a hive that I thought was robbed by other bees. And when that happens, there are maybe six to 12 guard bees that sit in the front of the hive. Well, if a hive's not real weak, uh, excuse me, if a hive's not real strong and they're weak and another hive come, another bee comes by and was able to blast his way through and get in there and found all this nectar and all this capped honey, he goes back to his hive, does his waggle dance, which is a way to communicate location, distance, and what you're going to find. Have you ever seen that, Sandra? No. This is amazing how these bees, no, they're not, they're not talking like you and I, but there's a little dance that goes on. And, and this little dance will say, okay, it's six miles over that way. We go to the left. We make a turn. At the thing. <laughs> I mean, it's inc- incredibly intricate. It's this I, little dance like, that they do that they can somehow tell what I'm they're in, talking about. I'm in a fa- fascination phase of <laughs> fog right now. I have a friend of mine that will, by mistake, bring up bees. Because he knows, because he knows what's going to happen. He's like, "Oh no, I did it! Oh, there goes Nick, and he'll set me off for a half an hour rant." And, and but and, oh my God, I can see how that would happen. Right, and, and and what the curiosity level of it, and understanding the solutions for it, or trying to put it into practice. I'm a pretty good learner and I thought I learned all this. Then you get in the hive and there's bees flying around you and it's hot like your daughter experience and somebody (laughs) stings you and you're looking at something and you're not seeing what you thought you're supposed to see and you make a decision and the hive dies. Or I'm standing in my bedroom, I look out and one of my cows got knocked down a fence and was scratching his head on my hive in a pouring winter storm last year it <laughs> killed the hive yeah. i found myself just so upset yeah it's it's um it's lovely to be to be involved with something that you're so curious about and i think what if we can all find something we're right. really curious about right. that's incredibly satisfying whatever the yeah. hobby is yeah but but again you know this is also how food people are i mean 
just the fascination and the passion. I mean, this is just like the tiniest, tiniest molecule of anything that could be about food, but it's spider webbing onto so many different things. And I find it, I think food people like involved in food are the most fascinating. When I was just saying that, I was thinking about how it's uh, it's the same in food. I went to an event at at the museum just down the road and if you have a chance to be involved in the museum, you really should be because... Um, Which one, DeRosa or the Sonoma Valley? S- Sonoma Valley. And oh. you were there at this at this event. You were uh, the wine... The right, wine the pairing pa- yeah, with was, Chris Sawyer. Uh, sure. It was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. I sat watching this... Um, uh, the poetry the, and well, the... A uh, uh, sommelier m- m- marry, uh, match poetry with with wine and it felt a little bit of a stretch at first but then he went through it and i thought wow that was so great yeah and it was so much fun you Uh, drank the (laughs) kool-aid i did drink the kool-aid i was having a ball enjoying it it. was fun it was a hoot it was and the and the and and matching wine with art i mean i wouldn't have thought and food and art i had to explain our dish to everyone so the show was um there were a bunch of artists that did things around the fire and this is the second time I've done this event. It's like pairing of the senses. And it was art, food, wine. And this year they added poetry. They Fantastic. didn't have poetry. And so they send us like a dozen or two dozen, like all the art that's in the museum, say, and to like four or five different chefs, you have to pick which piece you want to do your food on. So, you know, we're looking at this stuff and it's a little depressing because it's, you know, burnt things and you know, dilapidated, and you can feel people's emotions coming through. And it's like, how do you turn this into food? Like, am I going to burn a steak or, you know what? So I ended up, we, we started with one piece and then switched. We did this huge piece that was like, it looked like a fir tree, just with sticks. And so we ended up doing skewers. And I had to explain it, though, to everybody. To me, it was, like, really obvious. But we had to go. It was the piece was called totem, something fire totem. So we did food totems, you know, where we paired the food on a stick. And it it was a fabulous event. I thought microgreens would have been a great idea. What was Michael Green's? Well, it's what, you know, you think of all the new growths, all the things right. that come out after the fire. So, Oh, Micro Green's. Micro Green's yeah. Oh, I thought you were Michael Green. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Green, the chef, or Michael Green, the artist? <laughs> Michael Green, the poet. No, Micro Green's. But you're absolutely right. They should have just brought Micro Green's in. Well, I'd yeah. be a little disappointed if yeah. I just got a bowl of Micro <laughs> Green's. Well, they, but they, there's so many kinds. And look for this fun. event, because for... $40. Yeah. It yeah. was one of the better nights wow. I've had. And the food was great. The wine was great. And I bought one of the books and my daughter has been curled that's, up reading it. And that's incredible. It, yeah, making exclamations from the corner wow. about one of the poets. Well, that's shout a, out to the museum and Chris Sawyer. Yeah. Was this the event that it we was. recorded all the the um, the stories from? The, no. Uh, no. Okay. No. So this is one where Chris was there and you... Um, Which was that? Was that... For the Grenache? Sonoma Valley Museum, I... No, we... Um, they used the equipment and we did it over at John Meyer's house. We recorded a lot of the fire stories. Oh, um, maybe, but it wasn't this event it, okay. that didn't come up, but okay. that's very cool. Well, yeah. what I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, that is curious about bees to reach out to the Sonoma County beekeepers association 
and come to a meeting. Talk to some beekeepers. Uh, there are people there that sell equipment. There's some um, great stores in the area. Be Kind up in Sebastopol. Shout out Be Kind. Uh, my, my buddy at Go Away Ranch, John McGinnis, he builds equipment up on Sonoma Mountain. It's gorgeous stuff, and he bases it on Serge Labasque. Now, Serge Labasque is the gentleman I was discussing that teaches at um, uh, the junior college. I'd look up his courses, take any one of them. Uh, and you'll you'll have a great experience in terms of uh, considering it, and then ask somebody, can I come into your beehive with you? Yeah. And wow. I do it all the time. I often just post, hey, I'm going to the beehives this weekend. I'm going in Thursday. Do you have an Friday. extra suit? Always. Yeah. So I, I have four or so. So I I have people come all the time, and I have a couple of Airbnb units, and I'm always inviting guests if they if it's the season and they want to go in and it's just so much fun. You, you can't believe the experience people walk away with because there's something, it's almost like zip lining or doing something a little yeah, out of well, your comfort and it's range. It's so Sonoma though. It's like, so, you know, our, our County, what else do you do on the ranch? You have a big farm. Yeah, I, I have uh, chickens and cows and uh, bees and, 60 olive trees got wow. my got my first harvest this year a lot of them were very young i mean you plant olive trees for future generations yeah. so did i planted you harvest or did you have it harvested this year i <laughs> wanted to do it all myself so i did the spraying shout out to fagoni frank fagoni he yeah, was awesome he was incredibly generous in coaching me and saving my crop um i'm hoping he's teaching a course in february so i can take his day-long course um uh, right now, I'm taking a course through Orchard People Online, which is kind of interesting. Have you met Don Landis yet? No. I'm going to introduce you. He is the Olive Man. I I am um, I'm quite interested in learning more about it. I bought um, from Nova Vine 30 trees, maybe six dollar trees, and put them in five years wow. ago. Wow. And some of them have started to produce. I I have another 30 trees from there were clones from Mac McAvoy. McAvoy. And uh, those produced okay, but I mean, I got one gallon in my first year. Right. So I sp did all the spraying myself, all the picking myself, <laughs> and now I know. Okay, that took 10 yeah. man hours. Do you wow. remember when we did estate? We did the, the olive olives? oil. Yeah. yeah, we did our own olive oil. We did we did it at uh, the olive. The other the olive press. press, the, the olive press. press yeah. Right, we did our own pressing, so we didn't do the community press, which yeah. was really cool. But we got six gallons, I think, from the older trees. Three hundred pounds. No, oh, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think it was about three hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah, I, I had fifty. Exactly. I had fifty-six pounds my first year, and it was early in the season because I was going away for a month to play in Alaska and other places, and I. Um, uh, so I, I took the harvest early so you get less oil, but it's a higher quality right. and it's new though. Yeah. So, uh, so, so trees and olives, uh, that that's, um, that's happening. I have about 20 other fruit, um, trees that I'm trying to improve and some are ancient trees, some are new. Any fig trees? I have one fig tree this year. I plan to propagate, uh, 10 or so more. I've been learning about how to propagate. It's pretty easy. And, um, I have a big restoration project going on at my property right now. I got a grant from NRCS straw and uh, blue point. And they did the first planting last month where, um, second and third graders come up and with these volunteers went into a, a, a riparian area 
and we're planting willows and mm. um, $30,000 grant. That's incredible. And um, it's just fabulous to be improving um, the land and seeing kids there. I love that you're holes. dealing, the kid, dealing with the kids. It's just great. They'll yeah. be there two more times in March. I'll invite you up for one of the plantings. Okay. I plan to host a, a bit of a coffee, bagel, talk mm. with some biologists in the morning while the kids are there and invite my neighbors to see what's possible because they all have creeks running through their property and and restorations possible so that's all happening um i do a number of uh, well and the real business though is airbnb right that's what i want to talk about is who so who did the construction did you do the construction to bring back some of these old no. prop the, the Sc- some of the old scott uh, shelley construction who's over in Petaluma and he's a guy that um, he's not the cheapest and he shouldn't be because he's a premium quality guy Um, and the work is extraordinary and he's got style Uh, and he was willing to work with me when I said okay I've harvested all of this barn wood from all over the property I've dried it I have a portable mill that's coming here to mill this and i want you to work with this floor guy i heard from heritage salvage to right. install two thousand feet of my barn wood and he was great at it and may, nick maybe you should do this instead so he was terrific and he really worked with me in the whole project and then it was finding the electricians and the solar guy but you started from scratch it was it or was the- there was a a ranch an old ranch house Mm -hmm. and there was an old farmhouse 1920s farmhouse 1950s old ranch house and a bunkhouse fabulous then there were large barns garages rooms chicken coops sheds and a mess everywhere and uh i didn't want to throw away anything Right. And I wanted to use the exact footprints. So and you use the foundations. I use the foundations. Yeah. I kept the windows, but put in double pane windows. Right. I took out the asbestos and just learned about all this fun stuff. But the, the property itself, I do a trade with a cowboy that works out on um, Skywalker Ranch is one of the cowboys there. And he keeps a small herd on my property. And in exchange for the forage, and the use of the land, he takes care of my cows, and we have a bull. That's bowl. great. It's great, and he's teaching me, and and uh, we bred up my two heifers, and one had a stillborn, and one had mm. a bull. I thought wow. I'd have four girls now. Right. Oh <laughs> boy, this is a lot harder. Oh gosh, so um, so that's a great trade. I have a trade with somebody that stores some equipment on my property, and he does a little bit of work. Uh, Scott keeps some he uses one of my barns and he does a little bit of work for me every year and and in the past i've i've used other prop parts of my rental units to trade out for gardening or other kinds of work but now that i'm retired i have more time right that's awesome you know you'd be a good person to ask because growing up in petaluma or if you've ever been to petaluma you've got all these old chicken coops all spread out all over out there on pepper road off of stony point that's right um and there's something about keeping the old um chicken coop on your property don't you get some sort of tax relief or something like that i think there's a heritage um 
restriction. I don't think you're allowed to tear them down. If they fall down, you can remove them. I think there's some right. funny heritage laws. I, I, I rebuilt my, I tore out the floor of the beautiful tongue and groove first growth, first growth fur. And I'm, used it as walls siding it's gorgeous and because it was all rotted or some of it wasn't good and i just put in a a gravel floor in the chicken coop so i'm using those buildings i would like to build another building if i can ever get approval for another livable unit and you would think on 50 acres no uh the restrictions in sonoma are really tight and they want to keep ag in ag which is awesome which is awesome so i know my neighbors have thousands of acres and i'm surrounded by a lot of uh beautiful um countryside that's going to be kept there because of some of these rules Uh, a great resource for people that like seeing the sonoma mountain is the sonoma mountain preservation society and if you live on the mountain or live in view of the mountain, it's worth supporting the group. There's a new book coming out, and um, they've been fighting for this mountain for so long. And we live in the shadow of it and don't even know right. that they kept a large road and development from being built on the top of it and from going over it. Can you imagine what Sonoma would feel uh, like or Petaluma? Yeah. And when you drive through that hellacious 101 and are stuck in the gap, you're looking out over this gorgeous mountain not bright houses and bright colors. And so the Sonoma Mountain um, Preservation Society has done a, a, a lot to help. And they have a beautiful book about it, about the uh, geology and the history. And wow. it, um, it's worth ordering one of those now. Uh, it's a great group. And they've, they've, they've been working on getting the land from um, uh, transferred over to Jack London from... Um, the developmental center. Yeah, the SDC. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they're saving the the mother tree, the mother redwood up there, oh. and the, and the or, old orchard. So it's it, there. There's so much over over there that um, in terms of the mountain and living on the mountain, it's pretty special. It's fabulous. And it's a beautiful um, rental that you have. I've just seen pictures on the website of of the on VRBO website of that one property. That's I mean, it's gorgeous. I want to go stay there. I I, I go live and like I ten minutes away, it. and I would love to spend two nights. <laughs> Just you, out there. You and Maria. Oh, because it would be so peaceful. I have a it guest so right beautiful. now, and uh, they're having dinner tonight, the girl and the fig. Nice. And um, they are. They're they're coming over here tonight. <laughs> and, Smart people. And I said, oh, I'm going to be talking to Sandra tomorrow. Isn't that interesting? Or maybe they went last night. But I'm always telling them to come here because that, 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 like, I said, go, go to EDK and have a drink and then walk over. But oh, if you, if you can go into their bar before dinner and sit at that old bar and have yeah. a, have a, um, oh, what's Pappy. that? No, what's that? Pappy's back. No, you just, to put it back on the menu, the bee's knees. Bee's knees. Oh, dear God, are those, yeah. are those caper mm. berries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I, I love, I, I do more business on Airbnb. And it's a very interesting thing. I have one unit that's a one-bedroom, 1920s farmhouse that was completely renovated, and that was a lot of fun. And I've lived in there while the rest of the property was um, being built. And I can only rent that 31 days or more. I can't. Uh, yeah, that's the I, monthly yeah. TOT tax. Uh, well, no, I don't. Uh, if you have 31... Oh, you don't have to pay the correct. TOT. But yeah. I'm not allowed to do short-term rental. And... and um, the the county ordinance wants to keep that in as a rental unit 
So I get people in for two, three, five months. A lot of people that are moving to the area, um, uh, traveling nurses, um, no, that kind of thing. That's kind of cool. It's really cool. And I moved back into it for a little while while I rented my main house to a family that was burnt out from the fires. Um. So that, that was nice to have that option. And it was fun and humbling to go small from, you know, I'm an empty nester, so I was living alone and it seemed wrong to be in this big house where so many people were burned out. And it was nice to help my retirement have a bit of a net. <laughs> um, um, right. and, 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 and There's a lot of people that do that. They rent out their house that covers the mortgage like one weekend sometimes. With with air and I've met a lot of Airbnb people that are renting rooms in their house. Now I, I couldn't do that. I no, wouldn't like I that. Couldn't do that either. And, and I wouldn't want to rent an Airbnb unit in someone's house. I no. I want a dedicated unit. So in my ads, right. I say this is a dedicated space intended for this. And then the other, it was a um, a bunkhouse that was moved to its location sometime in the late 1800s. Uh, for $230 is what Don Harden told me. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, um, really housing for the workers. And it had five little bedrooms in it. It's just a small studio, no kitchen. And I rent that out. And it, it's it's full March through October. And um, and the people are terrific. I, I haven't had... I haven't had any problems, that's really. That's amazing. Minor stuff, you know, but that's, that's yeah. nothing, no angst. No yeah. angst at all. And they're just terrific. So um, I was flipping through the channels, and I come across Heritage Salvage. Bug, Mike, have you met Bug, the owner? Uh, I haven't met him, but I have. Heard I, of him, I'm sure. Well, I've, I've bought a lot of stuff there. I have one of my favorite paintings. I ha- happened to be office art, and they were willing to sell it to uh. me. Uh, and I recommend it a lot. It's expensive, but they're yeah. really good. He, um, but he now has a TV show. He did a, a did a pilot, and no it's fabulous. It's called, uh, I think, Heritage Salvage, or something like that. I think it's on one of the enter the uh, home improvement channels. Hmm. They got great style. He's fabulous. Well, they and did he, the he did our patio, patio with the girl and the fig. Right? He did the yeah. patio with the girl and the fig. He did um, the table in the lounge. Um, beautiful. I, I mean, I really enjoy him a lot. Um, you have to get it down. You know, when you're working with him, he doesn't always have a lot of patience. But and his Artiste. storytelling, <laughs> he is an artist. His storytelling is incredible. But basically, the premise of a show is they're going down and taking barn, you know, collapsing some buildings and taking the wood and making projects into it and it, it was, I was really, I texted him. I was like, I love seeing you on TV. This is fabulous. But again, it's, um, you know, it has so much meaning. He knows pretty much every piece of wood that he sells, where it came from. Like the table 50, table 51, which I call the hot tub table on the patio, oh, yeah. came from an old wine barrel. It came from old... Like, and he knows like where it came from and what it was used for. And it's fascinating. My, my kitchen, t- my, my dining room table, which comfortably seats 12 is, uh, was the hay deck in my 1840s barn. Fabulous. And it's exquisite. And my kitchen table, the, the, the new kitchen floor I put in and when I pulled up the asbestos is the first floor roof that I pulled off. Well, that was first so growth fun. Douglas fir. Yeah. It's gorgeous from the fifties. Yeah, and the table at my my coffee table upstairs, my writing desk, the writing desk 
I made a sister of and I sent to Connecticut to thank my brother-in-law. Uh, as yeah, a, you need to start selling some stuff. Well, the, I, I've harvested a lot of wood. I have a huge barn full of wood that I still have and, and, and could do a lot more with it. And and to know I'm walking across the room, if I get a splinter, mm. I, well, I know where that, that, exactly. that floorboard came from. <laughs> I, I, permaculture design, are you familiar with this at all? Not at all. Okay, I, I actually wanted, I, I wrote down the definition. It's sustainable and self-sufficient design pr- principles around a whole system. So if you think of monoculture versus permaculture, one crop versus many, and uh, they believe in creating food forests. Well, if you take the chickens and the vegetables are gone, well, next year it's going to grow figs again. You're going to get more. And, And they believe in harnessing the energy, store the water, Look where the motions of people are. So if you think about zone one, your herb garden, zone two, your chickens, zone three and four, bees and cattle and things you don't need to get to every day. Where should you walk? Where does the sun go? It's a very- Who's doing this? Well, permaculture is a thinking and a study of of gardening and practices to uh, efficiently harness the energy and uh, and reduce energy output. So a lot of it is in the planning up front in designing a property, but you're gonna have a lot less work later. Yeah. If, if you have a garden in front of your house with a retaining wall and you have a 3,500 square foot house and we have a big, we have a four inch rain day and all that rain comes out into your gut, it, gutter and comes down out of your pipe and drops behind that retaining wall, you might lose your whole garden and your retaining wall. Right. Oh, maybe I should take this water, put it under that, have it come out the bottom of the retaining wall, and then that will go into a garden. That's forethought about it. Where does the sun move across the property? Where should my vegetable garden be? Plan that out. You build your your gardens and it's much easier from that purpose. So on and on thinking that. In the old days, they probably did a lot of that. The first settlers. I think this is a lot of Rudolf Steiner stuff too. This is a lot of biodynamic right. principles. And right. it, drives, right. um, it drives us crazy, those of us that are in, in, in the wine biz, that when we when you see these beautiful properties that are designed for the approach. So the drive up to the winery, right. the the rows are designed to look pretty when you approach them. But then when you look at the sun patterns and the wind patterns, you're thinking, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. My daughter was saying to me, why didn't you put a window here facing the sunset on the west? Well, because the house should face south. So you have sun across and in a footprint of a 1950s farmhouse. So it was put in the footprint of an 18 something farmhouse. That's where it's going it, to, the sun's going to be in your windows all day, yeah. not, not just right. at the end of the right. day. Right. So, but permaculture, it's a wonderful thing to look at in terms of um, if you're building a property or thinking about a property, how can I reuse? Where do I, how do you keep the carbon on, on, on your um, property? How do you, um, compost better and i mean i i was looking for chips to add another layer of mulch and reduce the amount of water i have to use and 
uh, was at a gardening group meeting and someone said, oh, you should sign up on chipdrop.com. And I Chip got chipdrop.com. Chipdrop.com. And last week I had 350 yards of gorgeous redwood chips dropped. That's oh. that's why I'm so filthy now. That's what wow. I was doing all morning. You were I, raking I, chips. I was using Shuffling. a tractor and, a tractor. Yeah, and, and dumping incredible. chips and, and around all my fruit trees. And they'll be safer. They'll be happier. They'll use less water. Boom. Yeah, and you make some for sense. happy microbials too under under those because now you've created a little environment for them to right. to live. Yeah, and then my chickens come across the street and they move all those chips and there's all these <laughs> bugs under there and yeah. I'm not feeding my chickens. Gives yeah. them something to do. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so fascinating. The the Truly. the I I went out on a bike ride and I had been looking for a five to ten acre ranch. I lived in Petaluma near the airport. Hated that little house. But wherever I've lived, I've had an organic garden. I've always had outdoor pursuits. Um, travel to the wilderness. And I was out on a bike ride, and I found a 50-acre ranch. Did it have a sign? There was a for sale sign, yeah. For sale yeah, sign. Yeah, it was Christmas uh, 12. And oh, I, lo- I love that. You just did it. Well, I had been looking for something smaller. I thought I'd stay in my house. I'll buy it. It'll have a decent house. I'll rent it. I'll plant trees. I'll start setting up the yard, and in 20 years, I'll retire. <laughs> and then I saw this, and this dilapidated, risky, scary place. And what it did by buying this place and investing in it and making it my home, it reduced my, my timeline to retirement by 10 years. Wow. 10 years. Yeah. A, a financial leap. Well, now I don't need a cabin up in the mountains, which I had and always made me feel poor. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I consolidated and, and bet the farm. And now I have this full life where all my childhood fantasies about barns and so on are all in one place. And there are so many physically and mentally stimulating things to play with. How do you make essential oils from all these lemons I have? Right. Oh, I have lemon viburna. How do mm. I get an extract to put in something else? Oh, it's now legal to grow other things in California. Should I or shouldn't I? Right. Nah, I don't want any of that money or the negativity. You're scared. Nah, let's stay away from that. But let's get, oh, olives. Well, now I got to go and I want to prune these olives. I want to, and it just. Yeah, it keeps it, going. And, and, and me. Are you baking? I, I like to bake. I'm not a very good baker. I, I make mead. I'm not very good at it. I, my beer sometimes you, suck. You I make a lot though, of vinegar. It's the fact that you're harvesting and that you're doing it because right. nothing drives me crazier than driving by properties when I see that people have an orange tree, a lemon tree. They've got um, persimmons ah. um, that are just sitting oh, out there. It's and it's so like they, they wanted the tree just to look pretty, but they're not interested. And I, I don't know if they don't understand that if you just invited two of your neighbors and said, you know, if you guys want to come over and pick lemons, I've got a lemon tree that cre- that's a, bl- thank you, that belongs to one of my neighbors, but it pokes over onto my property. And so we get lemons. I just go on the side of my house and I can get lemons. 
But I love that you're using stuff. And even if you're you're experimenting and it's not working mm. out exactly the way you think it should be, you're trying and you're actually using that stuff, which uh, uh, props to you. Well, what I just handed you was mm. a Gravenstein apple and a pear mm -hmm. that were dried in my dehydrator. The pear is shocking, Amazing. isn't it? It looks yeah. terrible and tastes mm -hmm. great. <laughs> and, and I think it looks beautiful. But what kind of dehydrator did you get? Do you know offhand? Excalibur. <laughs> really? No, I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded good though. But uh, yeah. I, there, I I wish I had gotten one that had um, it, it has n nine or ten drawers. I wish mm -hmm. I had gotten one that had a timer to shut it off at a certain amount of hours. It's the simplest thing to use. I mean, they are so simple. I make jams. I make jellies. I make mead. I um make a lot of pasta sauce i'll make uh, i'll freeze i'll dehydrate i'll can because i really like the idea of storing the the harvest yeah. and it's hard when you have a big apple tree i'm eating them right. what do you do i know this is great mm -hmm. yeah i made fruit roll-ups that are, i can't believe they're all gone mm -hmm. and i would go out and i would get a quart of blackberries off the vine and this year, I, this year was an incredible harvest. This year, I got 10 gallons of blackberries. Wow. And, and I brought some blackberry jam here for you. Oh, my and God. That's, that's a little shocking. Um, uh, my neighbor has a blue, um, blue ribbon award-winning recipe. And her Are mom... Are you going to start... Oh, you should start entering oh. some of your stuff in the harvest fair. Well, I can't enter this anywhere she has because she was oh. kind enough to coach me. Oh. Um, and when I kidded about it, it wasn't funny. Um, so, <laughs> but you take blackberries. Um, oh my God. Right. You take blackberries, oh you take some apples, you blend them all up oh my God. with some honey and you pour it on your sheet in a dehydrator and you have a roll up. Don't oh. let any flies get in there. I don't want them oh. to get any. It, it's just heaven, it's right? Amazing. It may, it, it's amazing. Mean, that's unbelievable. And then I think, oh, blackberries, which I have and my neighbor has, and it's another community thing. My, that's true. I, I run up on my quad and they're waiting at the end of the driveway and we go in another part of their ranch where there's an endlessly running creek and we go in there and we chit chat and we pick blackberries for an hour. Blackberries are one of those things where I love when you find families. You find like the mom and the two kids and they're all mm -hmm. in there and they've got blue fingers and they got a couple pokes and slivers and and i mean there's nothing better than th those memories oh. of summertime and picking blackberries and then making jelly and pies and it's, it's turnovers heaven. And, uh. it's heaven and <laughs> so at this, at this time of the year when i was talking about the cycles what's nice is this time of the year is a time for taking the products of the hive and playing with them making mead cleaning your equipment building new equipment. It's a lovely process. Then as we come out of it, we come into January and February, this hive start to expand, you start getting ready. And once they start expanding, then I'm in my hives every week come spring. And I'm in there every week, every 10 days or so, maybe maybe not all the hives in one day because I can be a little exhausted. How many are there? Well, right now I have nine that are surviving. I went into winter September with 12. I've okay. lost two more. At the height, sometime in the summer or um, uh, spring, I probably had 16, close to 20 colonies. Now, some of those were colonies that I that um, we got from somebody that couldn't keep a hive because they freaked out after getting stung. And we took this hive and we split it into five hives. And then we donated those hives to new beekeepers that nice. are part of the association. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't only building up. So, But I try to build up my apiary 
and because knowing I'm going to lose a lot. And some of, the, um, some of them I'm combining. So if I go into one hive in June and they've lost their queen, it's late in the season. I don't believe they're going to raise a healthy queen or August or September. I'll take those bees and I'll combine them with another hive. They don't have a queen. I'll take the top off of another, another hive. I'll lay a piece of newspaper down and cut little strips in the newspaper. And then I put the other hive box with all the bees on in top. on top. And by the time they two hives chew through to kill each other, because you shouldn't be in my hive, the pheromones from the healthy queen have gotten through that paper. And before they can get to each other, they become one hive because of the pheromones. Wow! So there's some very interesting ways to combine and do things. So in spring, it's heavy activity, lots of activity, a lot of time. Then you start getting swarm calls. And that's so much fun. Da, 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 I put on my cape, <laughs> take an old truck, run down. With, and there'll be this, um, uh, the, another beekeeper that got there first. Damn, that means they get but to keep the swarm. Is there like a, a line, the swarm line? Well, there are like they're, they're, smoke they're, signals? They're, 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 well, there is a bee line. A bee line. And that's <laughs> how they used, to, they used to put out a bee trap. And then they would, they would look at, oh, they're coming for that nectar. And then they would follow it back and then, you know, take all the honey, but kill the colony. So what happens now is you, I get a call because I'm a, uh, a, a swarm catcher and I'll show up. I showed up at the local hospital in Petaluma and there was already a beekeeper there happily collecting the swarm. So I just helped her and I know her. And it was great. The next time I got there first and the person that gets there first gets to keep the swarm or give it to somebody else. But catching a swarm is pretty fabulous. Wow. You see this and you're involved in a, in eclipse of the sun. I mean, you're involved in a, a, a fundamental movement of our, you know, it's yeah. an earthquake. Yeah. It's something, but it's not scary, not to me. And these bees are calmly protecting their queen while they're sending out scout bees to look for a home. And while they're in that, that state, you can capture them and, and increase your apiary. I put out traps. I put out traps at uh, uh, friends over here in Sonoma. I have an apiary here, although it hasn't been very successful. Sonoma Valley is harder for, to keep bees, I think, than in Petaluma. Although Petaluma is pretty hard, too, because it has more moisture, so you get different diseases than you would here. But as you start going into the summer, then you're starting to harvest honey, and you're going into them a little less frequently and come fall you're doing other things then winter you're preparing your hives for winter you're starting to make them smaller instead of giving them more space you're watching their space because if they have to manage too much space they can have other problems that they wouldn't otherwise have um, there's something called chalk brood that happens from too much space and moisture but if they have a smaller space they can manage their moisture better and the hive equipment and so on painting and then fall it gets quieter again and it's a lovely process and Keeping one or two hives, I think keeping two hives is a, a good way to do it. It's expensive. The equipment's expensive. I bet. But you can make equipment. You can do it in other ways. Um, uh, you don't have to buy it made, and that can be pretty economical. And if you cap, catch bees instead of buying them, that's another great way to do it. Is there any laws that say you can't keep bees within a yes. certain city perimeter? Absolutely. So, yeah. so every county, every um, city has different rules. In Petaluma, uh, you can keep two colonies in your backyard. You can't have more than two. Um, in the city? In the city or, of Petaluma. Okay, so not the county. No, well, 
in the county of Petaluma, it depends on your zoning. So I'm in diverse ag, so I know mine. So I can have a apiary without limit. But the carrying capacity can be tough. Right. I mean, how much, how many hives can, you can survive? Right. I've never overwintered more than 10. Uh, this year's honey was uh, the this massive harvest that I had this year really had to do with a different way of keeping bees that I've been learning over the last couple of, uh, of years and they've been much more productive and I've gotten much more more honey and I think it's just becoming a better beekeeper and managing their space and keeping them healthy. I don't consider myself a very good beekeeper um, uh, and I'm learning. It's, well, you're very humble. I mean, not so much looking. <laughs> yeah, you are. I think looking at just this bounty right here, you're making things happen. It's well, in front of us, we have um, some cut um, honeycomb uh, that I'll leave with these guys. Well, we'll taste some of it afterwards. Uh, jars of honey, jars of jam, Meyer lemons, mm. a propolis tincture, um, jelly and uh, uh, dried pears mm. and gravenstein apples those pears are delicious yeah, you still get that crystally mm -hmm. uh yes, taste that in your sugar mouth crystal yeah. it, it's incredible i i can't wait to do that again next next year because i yeah. think they look so weird and ugly they look like a tiger sharp skin yeah they look yeah. a little alien yeah. Don't yeah. They? Yeah. yeah i think they look beautiful <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've had the dehydrator for two years and didn't do anything with it i always wanted to thought i'm a backpacker i like camping i should be doing this and i never really liked it and then i had so much fruit and started looking at yeah. it and went online youtube how do you yeah. do this what should i do yeah. and then a couple of yeah. days later i was doing fruit roll-ups and it's so easy all of this is so yeah. easy yeah. just yeah you just do it it is so much of it is having the time to play so even if so i'm retired i'm a hobby farmer and I was able to do this a couple of years earlier than I thought I'd be able to because of the income that I have from Airbnb. Covers about a third of my nut. So it shortened my time. That was a surprise. Finding a way to really make money on a 50-acre ranch, whew, that's tough. Um, and people do it, and, and I can understand why farmers and ranchers have some of the highest suicide rates. Wow. Uh, and I just thank gosh that my media business and the business in the outdoor industry and what I did for so many years was able to put me in a place where I can just enjoy learning doing. about it and providing for me and Well, you're my certainly giving back. I, I hope so. I, yeah. You know, I, I'd like... I mean, just dealing with the kids alone, I think, is huge. Well, that was a, uh, th that was a great process. I was over at Five Springs Ranch. I don't know if you've seen the sign for that. It's, a, it's an incredible property uh, that's... Um, if you're driving from here before you get to Greenstring, if you're coming over from Sonoma, heading over to Petaluma, uh, and you're you're heading towards Greenstring after you go over Stage Gulch, it's up on Sonoma Mountain up to your right. There's a large ranch there, and they host. Uh, do they do things with bike events? Yes. Okay, because yeah, I've driven by. I, I drive that every day. But. So so I saw the bike events and dreamed about how can I ride my mountain bike there. <laughs> and then I met somebody else and heard about it. And then I heard that they sometimes host fundraiser concerts. So I went to one of the fundraiser concerts because I was dying to see this ranch. I love exploring our mountain. And I went up and they had NCRS doing tours of some of the projects that they did with them to repair these um, overgrazed, ruined riverbeds seasonal creeks and straw 
is an organization that was started by a local ski sc school teacher in Petaluma, and she was getting kids out to do some of this planting, and it started 35 years ago. Now they have like 5,000 projects. They, they service all these kids, and to see these kids in the mud picking up rocks, asking questions, so it was fabulous. It was, and I was doing it because I wanted to keep I want to I want to make a new forest on my property, bring more wildlife, uh, create greater greater biodiversity, um, stop the erosion, uh, slow water, sink it, and try something interesting. And I went on the tour at that that beautiful ranch and those the, that beautiful family that was sharing it with us. And NCR said, "Just call." I said, "Well, I have called." I haven't heard back. Well, you're gonna hear tomorrow. And man, they showed up. And there's <laughs> money to keep sand out of Petaluma. There's all sorts of money to do all sorts of things. I never really thought about it. $30,000 is not insignificant. And they want to no. do two other projects at the, on the property. Uh, and um, so that'll be, that'll be really fun. Yeah, so rewarding. So rewarding. I know we could go on and on and on. I know. Let's, let's make sure that people know how to get a hold of you if they have questions or if they want to come stay on your property, I think would, uh, would be cool. So you want to give us some contact information? I do, yeah. My name is Nicholas Friedman. My ranch is Bees Rock Ranch over in Petaluma. And if you look up 50 acres, Sonoma, 50 acres on, what, what do I call it on uh, Airbnb? It's... Um, Sonoma Country Cottage on 50 acres and Sonoma Country Farmhouse on 50 acres. You look those up, you'll, you'll find the places that are for rent. Yeah, and got some nice photos on there. Mm. Yeah, I, I recommend. I mean, I grew up in that area, and, so I, and, and there's a reason that I came back because um, it's beautiful. And, and I remember growing up in Petaluma, we always thought that, what was it? Eli was like the, the point where nothing was going to move past Eli, you know, towards the mountain. And then Gosh. all of a sudden things moved up. And now it's crazy, isn't it? How it just gets closer and closer to the mountain. But thank God there's still still got a pretty good, nice Sonoma Mountain with not a lot of development going on past the airport there. Yeah, thank gosh. And there's there's growing access and recreational uh, uh, abilities uh, thanks to so many people fighting for it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, amazing. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up for this week. That was a lot of information. I think, you know, this is one time when we say probably be nice to have you back sometime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, once we wrap our heads around yeah. um, the last hour and a half and yeah. then probably have a lot more questions for you. Yeah. But, let's, uh, get, but, um, let's get uh, you guys in a beehive and then talk afterwards. Oh, That'd be I'll, awesome. Yeah, I'll take pictures. And and really admire what you're doing. Seriously. Yeah, really I mean, awesome. Uh, everything that you're doing. I, I've been waiting to um, retire and you know when you wait tables and you see the the old couples come in and the, and the, the guy gets up to go to the bathroom and the wife says yeah he's retired he doesn't know what to do and blah 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 and I say man there are so many things that I would love to do I can't wait to retire I would not be sitting on the couch watching TV and, and it sounds like the, maybe you do that every once in a while but it sounds like <laughs> you got a lot going on I am I am giddy happy I, and I am trying to watch more TV. I, I am trying to stop and, and read. And it really, you have to, it's funny, I'm in my first year of this and I'm starting to get the cadence of, oh, I really can't work physically for 12 hours because I'm going to hurt myself. Right. So it's, it's, it's so nice to go out from eight, nine till lunch and just be a hardcore physical outside doing hard work. And then it's 
uh, over nice a meal. Meditation. Then it's maybe yoga or reading or study or something. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And the adventure travel is, there's so much to do. There's so many great bucket lists. Oh, dear gosh. You need to start a commune. I'm ready to join. I want to get yeah, out of that property. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll, look, I'll look forward to talking to you again. Thanks so yeah. much for having me. Oh, thanks, All right. Nick. It well, was this awesome. Has been, uh, this has been The Bike Goes On. If you want to uh, download uh, this show or future shows, you can go to... Um, well, you can go to thebikegoeson.com. You can find us on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Um, reach us on Instagram at Bike Talk, which, you know, I want to say I think Instagram is a good um, resource for us because you get a lot of the photos from the show and a lot of information as to what's coming up and what's uh, what we've done in the past. And um, um, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Sandra. Brian. Yeah, Great so, show. Yeah, Thanks, thank you. Nick. Thanks so much. Thanks.